Welcome to Save It For The Podcast. I'm your host, Pat Cusick, alongside my co-host, John Doyle. How's it going, everybody? And Mark Cacuzzo. Hello to all of our faithful listeners and to my two fellow podcast hosts. Hello. Hello, Mark. Uh, and hello, everybody out there listening. We are into December now, which is kind of crazy. We've got a pretty loaded episode. It's a jam-packed sports season right now. Like there's everything going on, a lot to talk to, a lot to cover, um, and I think a fun toss-up this week. Uh, how's everybody's week going? How was Thanksgiving, boys? Great Thanksgiving. Right. Ate too much. Had not as much leftovers as I would have liked, but outside of that, uh, couldn't ask for a better Thanksgiving. Thanks for asking. How about you, Johnny? Yeah, it was good. Made uh, made my. Uh, first turkey didn't give anybody food poisoning, so uh, you know, pretty low key. Consider that a success, I'd say. Yeah, um, it, was tough. it was good. I, I like Thanksgiving a lot. It's a little weird when the Pats play on Thanksgiving because you feel like you've got something looming over you, but at least it was the night game. I would have preferred if it was earlier in the day. I really I know. Know. How come was that? I'm surprised you say that. Because then you get it out of the way, and the other games are sort of superfluous. Like you can watch them, and they're on in the background. But when you're trying to like be real, like intently watch the game, it doesn't start till eight. And you know, if you're at your family's house starting at nine a.m. or ten a.m., it's just a long time to wait to watch the game. Yeah, I hear that. But if you're, I mean, like we eat at like one or two. So if you get the game on either the four or the twelve o'clock window, for me, the game would be interrupted most likely. Right. So that's four why would I, be great. Four, I think, is solid because you could finish eating and watch the game. But I don't know. That's just me. Mark, what do you think? I would say, given my choice, I would take. I I love the fact that the game was at eight p.m. Um, I don't like um, when it's at twelve p.m. because you're right, your meal is going to get interrupted or the game's going to get interrupted, right? Um, yep. Four p.m. I guess would be the happy medium, but I I had no problem with the eight p.m. Uh, start. Uh, I had no as long as you had no obligations really the next day, you know. Yeah, most everyone's off the next day, which is good. Um, uh, we got a lot to get into in three big questions. We want to touch on um, the NTA football stuff real quick in, in in the intro because I think we obviously had the yeah. huge Michigan victory over uh, Ohio State, and then. You know, TCU managed to hold on, so we're seems like starting to get the lay of the land for what's going to be the final four. But that can obviously change with these uh, championship games coming up. Yeah, I think it was a it was a great week for college football last weekend. Sort of a stunning win, in my opinion, for Michigan. It was uh, they they beat. Ohio State handedly. I know that a lot of people that would like, you know, know more about college football than me would tell you that they relied too heavily on explosive plays and that if they played that game 20 times, Ohio State has just a, as good a chance to win, but it certainly didn't feel that way watching it. So that was a pretty that was a pretty uh, shocking upset in my opinion and obviously TCU with a big win, convincing over uh, Iowa State. And a really tricky game against a solid Kansas State team ahead of them. It feels like I, I'm rooting very hard for this TCU team, Pat. I, I I really like watching them play. They seem to have a lot of resilient. They're very resilient, but it seems like every week they have another gauntlet laid out before them. And it's like, well, if they can just, you know, if they could just win this game, then they get ISU. Then they get ISU, and people are like, well, this could be a, a trap game. 
and now they, they handedly beat ISU, and now they have a really tough Big 12 championship game to play. It seems like their road to the playoff is so much harder than everybody else's because they have to win so many convincing games. I think they're in regardless. I don't think that they would be. I, I think they're getting. I think that they're going to get in no matter what now, unless they were to lose by like thirty points or something like that. I, I just can't see Ohio State getting in after losing that badly with no games left to play. Yeah, I mean, maybe. I, I mean, I know that there are a lot of the like the five thirty eight simulations say Kansas State win would knock out TCU. Do they? I, I I I don't know. I just I have a hard time. I have a hard time believing that. And in, in place of Ohio State would be the one that that goes. I suppose so. Yeah. Um, Seems ridiculous, a- though. It, it, I I I would be hard because what I think the advantage that TCU has is that that would be their only their first loss. It's to the number ten team in the country. It's not like they're losing to a terrible team. And Ohio State's last impression will be a bad one. So I'd be yeah. a little surprised to see them get knocked out. Well, I mean, Ohio State also lost to Michigan, who's a top uh, 15 team, correct? No, yeah, you're right. But, oh. they, they, you know, so they'll both have one loss, but right. TCU's will have been in the championship game of the Big 12, whereas obviously Ohio State didn't wouldn't even make the um, – they don't make the, the Big 10 championship, and it's not like they've exactly beaten a murderer's row this year. They – they had some decent wins, but really it's only the, the Penn State win and the early Notre Dame win that, that stand out on their schedule. It's like, oh, those are, you know, top-level wins. So, yeah. I don't know. I guess uh, they probably like to send Ohio State more than TCU, but but barring a, a, a nightmare from them, I do think they'd get in. Yeah. My two cents is that – my two cents is that um, uh, TCU needs to win this game against Kansas State because otherwise if – TCU, even if they lose a close game to Kansas State, I, I one loss, one loss. I think Ohio State should get the nod over TCU. Well, I guess so. I just I'm just looking at it again, and I'm just um, according to five thirty eight for whatever. If if TCU is to lose this game, they have a three percent. Uh, I'm sorry, they have thirty one percent chance to make the playoff, and Kansas State and Ohio State jump up to forty one and thirty eight percent respectively. Hmm. Well, there's literally so, no chance Kansas State gets in, so those numbers are goofy, aren't they? Like, there's absolutely yeah. there's three losses. They don't have forty any kind of percent chance of getting in. Their percent chance of making the college football playoff is less than zero. The Kansas State team with three losses. Well, that's an over, Patty. I don't know what to tell I you. Mean, but that, just... Doesn't that make no sense? Like, how would yeah. Kansas State ever get in? Um, that's a good question. I they think couldn't. they just they absolutely could not. They'd never go past Ohio State, Alabama, or TCU. It's like there'd be there's not any world that we could live in where Kansas State would get in. They wouldn't even go past Clemson or Penn State. Well, so or- if so if you if so that so I guess it is. So you can you there's a fun interactive thing on this where you can click on who wins and who loses each game this weekend and figure out who would get in according to their projections. And it's if if USC loses. They're definitely out. And if Kansas State beats TCU, and then I guess if the other two, if Michigan and Georgia lose, apparently they think that 
Kansas State's chances jump up to 57% and Ohio State's jump up to 52%. I think they've been – I don't know whoever put that formula together. There is not a world that we could ever live in, not some parallel simulation or anything, where Kansas State is playing in the college football playoff with three losses. <laughs> to, I mean, not exactly like a – it's not like they lost to the one, two, and three ranked teams in the country either. We're talking they lost seventeen ten to two lane. And they lost to Texas. So, so the only other one would be if if USC loses, if USC if USC chokes against Utah, which is I not guess. out of the realm of possibility. Yeah. So if that happens, Utah's not a bad team. I mean, I guess Ohio State would weasel back in. Yeah, they probably they probably would. Which sucks because I really have no interest in seeing Ohio State. I don't like USC, but at least they haven't been in it in a while. And Caleb Williams is pretty fun. I, I, it's tough to watch Ohio State get sent there if, after. You should not get punished for losing a conference championship game if the other team doesn't even make their conference championship. I agree. Like it creates a weird, a weird situation. But I guess this, this final four that we're currently looking at, Georgia, Michigan, TCU, USC – that would probably be the most fun of any group that we could get in that that's still around there. Yeah, get I, some hope, games. I hope USC wins because it just that just sounds um, neat. As in, as in, like it's you got you got the SEC uh, represented, you got the the big tw- the the Big Twelve or the Big Ten uh, SEC and all that. So in a perfect world, USC would win out. But I agree with you guys. I can easily see uh, Utah beating USC. But they are fun to watch. I like this kid, Cable. I don't necessarily like this kid, Caleb Williams, but he is fun to watch. Really fun to watch. I, I think that I think that if the playoff were to stay as as currently constructed, TCU could beat Michigan in the first game. Oh, definitely they could. Because sometimes Michigan just can't score at all. To your point, John, Michigan's win against Ohio State while dominating really was about they just broke a bunch of really long runs and really long passes in. I don't know that that's a recipe they can recreate week to week. Yeah. We haven't seen them. The week before, they scored 19 points against Illinois, and they had no big plays. Right. Right. I'm certainly looking forward to it. We'll be watching the games this weekend. Big, big, uh, uh, big Saturday for those championship games. And we have the World Cup game leading into it. So we'll have the World Cup game uh, kicking off at, at 10. And then after that, it's. I think it's what is it, Big Twelve, and then there's uh, like all those championship college football championship games just sort of like cascade after that. Yeah, pray for everybody's liver this weekend because <laughs> it is. You jump off, you get to the bar at eight forty-five, nine because you want to get there for the World Cup, and you, guys, you just roll it into a long day. We should all just preemptively uh, apologize to your spouses if you have. One. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Write the apology note ahead of time because it's going to be a, a exactly. long weekend, I'd say for uh, for sports fans out there. Yeah. But a good one. Bust out the extra sheets for the couch. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Don't even bother. Just go right into the bad room when you get home, so you don't even take any chances. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, thinking- this is my. This is actually, you know, I mean, this is our recorded apology. If they want an apology, they can listen to the fucking show. Okay, <laughs> here it is. I'm not writing out a dear John letter. Yeah, exactly. Uh, you've, wrote, you've written enough of those, John. <laughs> uh, uh, anything else you want to touch on in the intro before we uh, get into three big questions? I'm good. I'd call it hoops on here, but it's been, you know, it's kind of just steady Eddie flowing along in college hoops where, I mean, I think we, we've talked about this already, where 
you're not sure who the best team is yet, and I think it's going to be a while before we figure that out. I mean, Houston's ranked one right now with Texas and Virginia there, but I can't say I from watching a lot of these games, I can't say that I've seen a big gap between teams. Feels very like a year where it's going to be very even, and a lot of people are going to have a chance to win the national title. Yeah, it's 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 fun not to have a consensus one come out of the gate red hot like we have in years past with the Zags the last few years and like uh, those really good Baylor teams. So I'm looking forward to it. You're right. There's not too much to say, though. I watched a lot of those Feast Week games, which are a lot of fun. Try to get myself kind of geared up for it. Who's good? Who's bad? And like yep. the mid-majors, too. So I look forward to talking about it more, but... We'll yeah, in a couple weeks, weeks, like through some big matchups, like who really, who's the, who's the cream of the crop? Yeah, definitely. I'll take a quick break. We'll be back with three big questions. Thanks for listening to Save It for the Podcast. You can find us on both Instagram and Twitter at Save It for the Cast. That's Save It, the number four, the cast. Thanks for listening and back to your regularly scheduled programming. Welcome back to the show, everyone, and our first segment of the week. Three big questions. We touched on it a little bit on our Thanksgiving Day loss. The Patriots The Patriots played the late game on Thanksgiving and suffered a, a tough, tight loss to the Vikings. Um, offense showed some signs of life, and there were probably – I would say even though this was a – there, there, there was some. There was a tough loss. I would say that there were probably there were probably more things to be optimistic about, considering the quality of the opponent. Um, what will you guys take away from the the loss to the Vikings, Mark? I, let's start with you because I will say this: it, one of your better or like uh, uh, one of your better takes last week was that you went out on a limb on a Patriots centric podcast and said that the Patriots would lose and they would lose in a game that. You felt like they could win the whole time, and then they'd come up just short. So props to you for that, because that's how I felt watching the whole game. So what did you take away from watching the game on Thanksgiving? Well, first off, I appreciate that, John. As everyone knows that listens to this podcast, I don't get nearly as much comeuppance as I should. Uh, no, I actually, I can't take full credit, because um, I thought the offense was going to do absolutely nothing, and, and they actually showed a sign of life. Fucking A, they, I, I, where's Hunter Henry been all season? Um, I, I I take a lot of positives from this game. Um, Enough to be grinning ear to ear, or I'm not grinning, no, definitely not grinning ear to ear because I, I I'm obviously gonna, I'm going to lay a big blame pie on the referees. We, we 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 can feel free to get into that if we want, but the point is we still had three opportunities to go ahead and I think either uh, tie the game or um, we had we three, essentially our last three series we didn't do anything right. Um, yeah, but my big I mean. I thought the offense, Mac showed some sign of life. I'm taking it as a positive because, and against the Jets, he didn't do a single thing. Um, they, they, I mean, they did a lot better than I thought they would, uh, at least offensively. And I think, I mean, but dude, listen, my biggest takeaway from the game, um, outside of the offense, um, showing some signs of, signs of improvement, is that um, when you have things like when referees bad calls go against you. The good teams still find a way to win. We saw the past dynasty. Um, they did it a number of times. Um, so we're still we're still not good enough to win games where things don't go exactly our way. Yeah, well, I think 
we've talked about this on this podcast before, and I'm sure we're not the only people that this is a Patriots team with not a huge margin of error. It's not a team filled with the most overwhelming talent or the you know best players at every level. And so when you have that type of team, when you make a big mistake, like give up a kickoff return for a touchdown, or you settle for a field goal when you really need, you know, when you were just this close to getting a TD, those kind of things, you know, the Brady era Patriots were able to overcome them all the time because it was a team filled with immense talent. And this is just not that. It's difficult to watch. We've talked about this also, and and I, but I think it bears repeating. This is a team that makes the kind of mistakes I feel like a Bill Belichick team never used to make. Right. Yeah. And we run into the punter on the most crucial play of the game. You don't need to block that kick. You just don't. Yeah. I understand sometimes that happens at the very end of a game when you're bailing out. You have no timeouts. There's 40 seconds left, and you say, send the house. You're going to try to block it. Pickett should not need to block the kick to beat the Vikings. They're going to get the ball back in a tie game with a chance to take the lead, and the offense had been moving it well. Instead, we didn't get the ball back till we're down seven, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah, what, 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 what things, yeah, what a time to learn who Pierre Strong is, right? Well, I don't understand why he's even out there. He's a rookie running back. Why is he the one putting the pressure on that? I've never seen him in that situation before. I it was just Pierre I haven't seen Pierre Strong in any situation. Well, I mean, we did block a punt earlier in the year. Was it against the Jets? Maybe I can't remember now, but it was in a similar play. But it was one of the cornerbacks they had coming off the edge. I have no idea why Pierre Strong is being asked to do that. He probably never did special teams in college. So what are we doing? <laughs> Manchurian candidate out there. He's sent out there just <laughs> just to run into the kicker. That's his only job. Well, if I if I said to you before the game, hey, Pierre Strong is going to be rushing hard on the outside and a button beg is going to happen, would you have assumed it was good or bad? Because I would have definitely assumed bad. I'd assume that you you were in some sort of point shaving scheme with Pierre Strong. No, I would I would have thought Pierre Strong is the second coming of Brandon Bolden. So that was terrible. And then obviously the kick return for a touchdown. I mean, those are the kind of things that just can't happen. And and there was just a couple of plays like that where you just go like, God, we just can't get out of our own way. Mac Hunter Henry doesn't go out of bounds on that drive, which got no extra yards for it. That was incredible. It was just an absolutely stunningly bad decision. I, I just could not believe He's a veteran player. How do you make that kind of mistake? What's the combined football IQ of him and Johnny Smith? Because they have for the amount of money they make. I mean, it's unbelievable the amount of bad football plays they make, bad decision making, and that stuff has killed us, man. You're so right. That that Hunter Henry thing. How how many Bill Belichick teams did that have happened on in the past? Zero, man. I I do not understand that. And Mac takes that horrible sack when he just like falls down. When yeah. the clocks run down, it's like what what are what are we doing here, folks? What's happening here? We just there's so many mistakes like that that you just watch and you're like, do we do we not do we not think these things through? Like what's going on here? And I, I don't know. It's a it's a difficult team to watch sometimes because they do make these kind of mistakes that you just don't expect to see. <sighs> I mean, this is sort of like for me, guys. It's sort of like year three of we don't win the tight ones against good teams ever. Like we just sort of we're like just good enough to be in it, and then we make enough mistakes. I don't know if that's a, like you said. Like, is it like we're not talented enough to overcome those mistakes, or we're not you know prepared well enough? But it just seems like it was. I couldn't have. I, I think that when the reason that Mark's take last week resonated with me is because I 
I felt that way watching the game. I was like, we're not going to win this game. And I'm, I'm like devastated in like the second quarter. I'm like, we're going to be in this game all game. And then somehow we're going to ruin it. Yeah. yeah. This is, it, it, this is a, then this isn't a small sample size anymore. I feel like as Patriots fans, now we can look at this over the totality of the Mac Jones era, at least and say, this is sort of par for the course. Yeah. I mean, we choked the Ravens game away. Obviously Mac got hurt, but we lost the Packers game late, which is a winnable game. And, and this one, and that's just this year alone, where we had many opportunities. The, the thing with the Patriots is, and, and Mark loves them settling for the field goals, but I, I don't think that's proven to be helpful because we've got one of the worst. We have, the, I think, the second worst red zone offense in the NFL. Only team worse than us is, I'll give you guys a guess. Who do you think it is? The worst. Who is the worst? Uh, the, who is Jets, the worst? The Jets. Who? The Jets. Nope. The worst red zone offense. Oh, it's got to be uh, the Broncos. Yes, it's the Broncos. It's Broncos 30, Pats 29. That's right. It's not yeah. company you want to be keeping, folks. I'll just tell you that. There's not company you want to be keeping. The Broncos. Wow. And it just, we just settle for field goals all the time. Like we talked about, the end of the half with the Hunter Henry thing doesn't go out of bounds. Mac takes a bad sack, so we mismanage the timeouts. And there's a field goal instead of seven. And these are four-point kind of plays that make a huge difference. You know, they had bad luck with the ref calling Henry for, you know, saying that it was an incomplete pass. I thought that was a touchdown. But, you you know, you've got to get in the end zone here. When you're in the red zone, you have to score touchdowns. And, yeah. and that's why they're a losing team in a lot of these close games because they give up touchdowns in the red zone and they don't stop and they don't get them themselves. I, I'm not as – I'm not as um... – bullish on these the the advanced analytics like you know go for it on fourth in every situation as you are sometimes pat but um the the the, the team is so frustrating that it almost makes me want to go all out and just if ever there was an opportunity to do the experiments in the nfl of like let's never kick <laughs> this is the perfect kind of team to try it with because they do have a pretty stalwart defense and they are constantly two yards shy of a first down or one incomplete pass away from a touchdown in the red zone. And you just get, sometimes I watch it and I'm pulling my hair out and I think to myself, God, if you're so dedicated to running the ball, just fucking put the punter on the shelf and just, you can run the ball on third down if you want to, but when it's fourth and two or fourth and three, we're going for it. Yeah. Like, I, I wish they would, man. The I like, wish I they would. I mean, but is it weird to say that it's like as it's as far as losses go, it's somehow more. There's more to talk about, and there's more upside than we could dissect out of the Jets' win. Yes, because it was there was three, two critical uh, plays that were called during the game that really changed the way things went. The the Pierre Strong play and the Hunter Henry catch touchdown that changed the whole axis of the game. And I get, I know that happens in the NFL. I get that. Yeah. But by the way, guys, what did you guys think of that? I, we don't have to bog down too much. But what did you think of the Hunter Henry call? Was that inexplicable or were you okay with that? Well, Pat just said he thought it was a touchdown. I think I thought it was a touchdown as well. Wouldn't you say? I mean, what's difficult about it, and I think we'd probably all agree on this point, and I feel like every football fan would be would agree. It's impossible to tell what a touchdown is these days. You know, the Marvin Jones touchdown in the Jaguars game where, like, his shin was half inbounds, half out. He ruled a touchdown. So I'm not quite sure on some of these. The Chris Olave catch for the Browns where they – that was some – there's just a – or excuse me, for the for the Saints. There's just so many of these every single week 
that there doesn't seem to be a lot of consistency across what what counts as a catch anymore. So that's what makes it so hard. If that was always ruled an incompletion, or at least you know eighty five percent of the time, ninety percent of the time, I could live with it. But it seemed to me like a difficult call to overturn. But I don't know. I, yep. I guess theoretically, if they did think the ball hit the ground and moved, that's not a catch, supposedly. But I mean, you know, to say. I'm glad that you guys – I'm glad that you brought this up, though, because the second half of this question is what stood out to you from around the league. And one of the things I wanted to say is I think it was a particularly bad weekend for the refs. I thought that a lot of the calls that were made were egregiously bad. There are always a couple that you see on highlights that you're not – like 50-50, was it a catch, was it an incompletion? The ones that you just outlined there, the Olave play, the Marvin Jones – was it Zay Jones touchdown? Was it Marvin or Zay? Marvin? Um, Marvin, I think, with the touchdown. The Raiders interception in the end zone that was the that was definitely incomplete, but called it. It was definitely an interception, but then they reversed it and gave the ball back to the Seahawks. There were a bunch of these. Like, I don't know if it's because they were all in such critical plays, but it seemed like every fifteen minutes, just watching the games this Sunday, I was be, we were being inundated with these calls that even with no skin in the game, you're watching, you're like, oh, that's an incompletion. And it's like, oh, that's a catch. And then I was, I think I was like 0 for 5 just as an armchair referee this weekend trying with my knowledge of football to guess what was happening. And that takes some of the fun out of watching the league in general. Like, I, oh, I, don't, I don't enjoy that. I don't, it takes, it sucks the fun out of the game when you're like, I don't understand the rules anymore. <laughs> so. Did not, when, they're, when they're breaking down the Hunter Henry play it's like you can't you know you what are you looking at it's like they're taking this it's this is a football game and they're looking at like not even i don't even know what that is it's like half a slush half of a half of an inch that he's it's it's a great point mark because i think it's something that's that resonates across sports we all want the calls to get right but when you have to slow it down to the tiniest degree and like get the microscope out and be like uh, well, it may have hit the ground and moved an inch. Let's just call that a, a fumble or not or not a catch or whatever. That's not going to cut. You know, that sucks. That's not what sports is supposed to be. Right. Yeah, it's definitely a problem all across sports, though. Nobody wants to sit there. It's, you don't want it to be the ref show. Basketball can be this way, too. You're right. It's across all sports. Some are uh, more egregious than others these days. Um what else besides bad, bad, you know, catch calls and things like that? What else jumped out to you boys across the league this Sunday? Uh, I don't know. It was, a, it was an interesting week, I guess. We talked about it last week. There wasn't a lot of games that jumped out. It's like, oh, this is a must watch. It was a little bit of a, a weaker schedule in that regard after the Thursday games. Um, I guess maybe I'll say what, what stood out a little bit is that some of the top contenders still looked a little shaky, maybe besides the Eagles. And even though I, I didn't think they were great, like the Bills struggled with the Lions. I thought if Dan Campbell was a better coach, the Bills could have lost that game. Mm-hmm. The Chiefs seemed to do everything humanly possible to give away the game against the Rams. The Rams are just so horrible, they couldn't dream of taking it. The Chiefs <laughs> were like throwing interceptions in the end zone, not able to get in from the one yard line, all kinds of things. So, and the Niners, you know, people have been kind of ranting and raving about them. I thought they looked really pedestrian against a mediocre at best Saints team. You know, 13-zip win is not something to, to really write home about. And 
we watched that game fairly closely, John. The, the Saints easily could have scored a few times there and made that a real game. I think that they had what? They had like nine or ten tries from inside the five and came away with no points. They like hit the ball. Somehow Alvin Kamara was about to go in from the inch line and got the ball knocked out of his hands, which proceeded to hit another guy in the head and bounce away and not be picked up by the Saints, but recovered by the Niners. Yeah, some of us who had plus nine for New Orleans, they were pretty fucking pissed watching them be un- it was like there was a glass wall. There was a there was an invisible wall, force field on the one yard line. Every time a Saints player got close, the ball just bounced off of it. Um, my biggest take well, one of my biggest takeaways um continues to be the absolute shit show of Russell Wilson and the Broncos. Uh, the other day I was watching on Sports Center and they're suggesting that this is the worst contract of all time. <laughs> and not, not only that, guys, the, what's most um, notable is uh, players, specifically on the defensive side, have been visibly yelling at Russell Wilson. The, I forget who the gentleman was uh, this past weekend, was just scolding Russell Wilson. And you could basically tell what he was saying, like, fucking A, man, give me something. You're fucking awful. Pay you all this money and you, you're, you can't do shit on offense. You're the worst red zone team in fu- football. So that's pretty well, fucking crazy to see. Dude, he is running into such a bad place right now because he is like captain positivity. And let me tell you, that shit does not fly when you are dragging your own team into the mud. So what everybody was saying is that he's on the sideline after going three and out again or throwing a pick or doing something totally stupid. And he's out there chat, like clapping up the defense like, that's all right, boys. We'll get him. And the guys are like, we – we're doing our jobs. Yeah. What are you doing? Stop telling me to like, let's go. Like, it's like, it's like the worst guy on your fucking basketball no. team who is constantly fucking like shooting bricks. It's like, that's all right. This is a bad possession. You got this. It's like, dude, you are sucking the life out of us. Yeah. He was QB. I, I saw on pro football focus. He was like, he was QB 33 this week. And there are only 32 teams, right? Because um, God, somebody only played one quarter of football and still had be- a better like passing rating than he did this yeah. week. Oh my God. Right. That's going to go down as one of the all time, just total dud moves ever. <laughs> they're just, I mean, there's just so sunk with him and I don't know how to fix it. Um, I guess like that's, you look around the league at some of the, like the roster building and like the different kind of choices some teams have to make. They are maybe bottom of the list because they don't have a lot of draft picks. They don't have it's like them and the Rams. And at least like I guess if Matthew Stafford is healthy, he's at least a NFL quarterback. I don't know that Russell is. Yeah. The the Broncos are three and eight, right? Here's who they have for the rest of the year. You tell me how many wins you think they get out of this. At Ravens, versus Chiefs, versus Cardinals. At Rams, at Chiefs versus Chargers. That's that's like maybe one win somehow. <laughs> maybe Cardinals. That's it. Maybe they. It's so hard to, to lose Rams. all the games. That's all. They only. I can't tell you where the loss is, Pat. But it's so hard to lose them all. <laughs> they may not win another one. They may finish the year three, three and fourteen. How is that fucking possible? And they don't have their own first round pick. I know. I was going to say, and then Seattle has that, that it's going to be a top five pick. Yeah. Maybe it's going to be maybe number two. Oh my God. It's, it's just, it's, it's mind blowing to see that happen to, to a team that a lot of, we, we talked about it on the podcast preseason when we were looking at the totals, they were like at over under like what, seven and a half or eight and a half wins. 
they're not even going to get close. Not how, even. Your question close. here, Pat, is how many of those games that you just rattled off are prime time? Because I guarantee you, yeah. it's slated for more prime time. Oh, better not be. They it's better funny not you say, John, it's funny you say that. Um, one of their one of their games definitely is a prime time, and it's going to be flexed out. It was, and it got moved. They yeah, switched their game. Yeah. yeah, they're doing the Dolphins Chargers now as the Sunday night game instead of doing Broncos Chiefs. So, John, you're right, though. I think the um, at the beginning of the season, a team can have up to seven primetime games, max, and the Broncos were given seven primetime games. My God. <laughs> the, the NFL was so wrong. The, I know that I saw somewhere that the, a couple other teams that they bet big on for primetime were like, I think they had the Raiders in a couple slots. I think Pittsburgh got an odd number of them. Uh, and all those, all the teams that they had slotted in there have just been totally disappointing um, in a very topsy turvy year. I want to, I, I want to show a little bit more love for the second week in a row here to the Bengals, who uh, once again tough win, good win against a pretty solid Titans team this week. Pat, I'll give you some props for saying it was a not fun to watch game, uh, but. They, hey, they did what they did to the Titans last year in the playoffs, and they outlasted them, and they made enough big plays. Joe Burrow looks like he's fully healthy. And I said it last week. I'll say it again. I do think that they have to be considered, you know, at least with the way that the the Ravens look right now, I think that the Bengals should win that division. And I think that that's going to be huge for them in the come playoff time. Yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see. Um because obviously the Ravens already have the win over them, so that's a big, a big advantage. But the Ravens do not look particularly good. They'll have to play against them again. Yep. And they're not the same team that that, that beat them, that's for sure. I mean, Lamar looks horrible. Um, certainly not playing into the contract that he wants. And that division think, is about you, to get interesting with Deshaun coming back this week, right? What do you yeah. think the odds are for the AFC North? Um, I would guess right now with the sense Ravens have the win over them, I would guess that they are minus one, 120 to 140. And then it's the Bengals behind them at like plus 150. Mark, what do you, you, what do you think? You think it's close or far apart between the Ravens and Bengals based upon the odds? I would assume that the, I think the Bengals are a better team. So I'm going to give, I think, I, I assume that the Bengals will will take the will take the North over the Ravens. The Ravens, Ravens are like a, are, Ravens are minus two thirty to minus two eighty. Yeah, and the Bengals are plus two twenty five to plus two ten. Ravens are big favorites on the sports book to win it. I don't know if that's. Yeah, I, I think take, the Bengals have Bengals a very. What do you say? I would take the Bengals today. I think the Bengals have a very tough schedule might be the issue. I mean, the Bengals have the Chiefs this week, right? I think we'd all pencil them in to lose that one most likely. And you're talking – I agree the Ravens are not playing well, but the, the schedule for the Bengals, my at least that's what I'm guessing it is because they're at the Ravens still, right? And then they've got – so they're Chiefs this week, Browns with Deshaun back, at Bucks, at Pats, Bills, Ravens. I mean, that is a murderous road to end the year. That Ravens game um, on January 2nd. Could decide the whole thing, though. Yeah, no doubt about it. That definitely could. The Ravens are pretty lucky in that. I mean, they lost the Jags were horrible, but they get the Broncos this week, Steelers, Browns, which will be tough, Falcons, Steelers again. 
and then Bengals. So, I mean, they really get a soft landing, don't they? Yeah. Yeah, and, that's true. But they haven't you, been playing well. They you know, they find ways to lose. The no, they do. I mean, they definitely do. It just you get the Steelers twice, so the other team is playing the Bills and the Chiefs. It's like you've your built-in kind of advantage there. Yeah, the Ravens are better than the Steelers, but the Steelers aren't a pushover. They looked okay against the um, whoever they just beat on the. Yeah, uh, yeah, they, they really gave it to the Jeff Saturday Colts. I mean, <laughs> Jeff Saturday, man, that I'm guy. Sorry, I'm not giving anybody any props for beating up on Jeff Saturday and the boys. Saturday literally, he doesn't know how to use his timeouts. It's like playing your father in Madden, and he's like, "What's the button to call timeout?" That, that might be my biggest takeaway, right? Like, what are you, you concerned? They, they were worried about leaving too much time on the clock for Kenny fucking Pickett, man. The guy's got smaller hands than I do. Like, that looks like he should be holding really, he should just be a hand mall for Burger King, for Christ's sake. He seriously, he pretty much let them run the clock out on them. Like, they ran the clock out on themselves pretty much. Like, what's happening here? And after the game, he's trying to say it wasn't so bad. And I was like, oh, yeah, it was actually super bad, dude. Like a, Matt Ryan took a sack at one at, at, with a minute and 35 seconds to go. They didn't run another play, and they had timeouts, mind you. They had three timeouts. They did not run another play until 59 seconds. So it's 36 that's seconds. That's you're allowed, right? That's like yeah. that's, Guys, how many more? Sorry, Pat. No, right. Let me just say this. They yeah. then, Matt Ryan ran for 14 yards, a, a miracle. They're on the 26th. They've still got three timeouts. I know. They didn't run another play for 25 more seconds. They have three timeouts. They had three timeouts. You can't take those with you, Jeff. They rushed to the line to hand it to Jonathan Taylor for zero yards while they had all of their timeouts. You've (laughs) got to be fired on the spot for that. Jim Mercer should have come down from the thing and been like, you're out. Go home. Who will coach next week? Edron James? What's the chances if Jeff Jeff Saturday goes defeated the rest of the way, based off having win that first game, do you think he still has a shot of being the coach next year? It's a great question because I know know that Ursa would like to give it to him. And they don't have an easy schedule either. How about this? At Cowboys, at Vikings, Chargers, at Giants. They do finish with the Texans. So Saturday ends the year with a win over the Texans and then gets to keep his job because of it. Does that sound about right? Yeah, that sounds about right. That sounds like right up Jim Mercer's alley. That's for sure. <laughs> he just he preaches all offseason like, do you see the way they finished? It was really impressive. That guy's out of his damn mind. <laughs> Guys, I feel like my tenure with the Colts would be similar to Jeff Saturday. First week is like, I'm going to take Matt Ryan, a guy who almost won the Super Bowl, who's way better than Sam Ellinger. I'm going to look like a fucking genius. And we're put together the most rudimentary uh, game plan and win that game. And then, anyway. And then, yeah, I'm going to absolutely fucking blow it every other, every other game that I get an opportunity to coach. Uh, that was Yeah, funny. that sounds about right for you. Mm. Um, any other takeaways from the NFL action, or do you want to move on to question two? No, that that's it for me. We 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 can't really cover the Pats this upcoming week because it's obviously we're doing this on Thursday. We got the game tonight, so let us hope by the time people listen to this, the Patriots have beaten the Bills. Oh God! Well, let's uh, let's switch gears here and and, and uh, do some NBA stuff. Where somehow, shockingly, it's sneaking up on me. We're about a quarter of the way through the season, and the Celtics are the best team in the NBA. Finished November only only losing two games in the entire month. Um. What do you guys think the key to success is for the team so far? And what are your expectations for them 
at the quarter pole here. Pat, let me go first. Yeah, go ahead, Mark. No, you can go, Mark. My biggest takeaway is our our bench is just so deep. Uh, Malcolm Brogdon, these guys, I think our depth is just a lot better than it was last year. And, guys, I'll use last night's game against the Heat as an example. A lot of times last season we would have games where we would um, be killing it and then we'd take our foot off off the gas and then maybe – um, put our foot back on the gas, and then inevitably we'd still lose the game. Uh, Tatum particularly, they're just playing so well and so dominant. For example, last night's game, the Heat were staying in it for like, you know, basically through three quarters and they're kind of beginning to the fourth. But the C's offense was just so good, right? If like, if Tatum and Brown weren't doing it, he had Malcolm Brogdon off the bench, hitting two big threes. Um, th- these role players are doing really well. But then most importantly, I think Tatum and maybe to a lesser extent Brown, they've looked like they've taken the next step. Well, Brown, yeah, I mean, Tatum, no doubt about it, right? It's just Tatum seems to be playing as well as anybody or better than anybody in in basketball right now. It's been amazing to watch. I think the thing that stands out with the Celts is is just how much better the offense is. We talked about this in the offseason, and I don't think anyone was certain what would happen with Joe Missoula as the coach, but this offense looks – completely reinvigorated. I mean, it's just something totally different. They shoot a million, they lead the league in the amount of three-pointers taken in three-pointers made and in three-point percentage. They just bomb away and they move the ball incredibly well. It's always given up a good shot for a great shot. They're, I feel like last year we'd watch them and be like, man, the offense just grinds to a halt at times. Yeah, And it's like if one of Brown or Tatum wasn't in, things just got stuck in the mud. But the addition of Brogdon, Derek White figuring out how to shoot again, Sam Hauser's ability to make threes and the way Horford has shot them has just completely opened up the floor. I mean, Tatum drives to the bucket now. If they collapse, he kicks it out to three or four guys who are shooting 40% from three. Talking Grant Williams, Derek White, uh, Al Horford, Sam Hauser. All these guys are absolutely cannon threes at a crazy high rate. And it leaves the defense no options at all. It's been it's been really impressive to see. It's something that I don't know that we thought the Celts offense could get there. I think we coming into the year, at least I did, I was hoping that they would 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 play better, but I also wasn't I never thought they'd get to like best offense in the NBA, and they're beyond that. They are like one of the best offenses in NBA history through the first twenty some odd games. So that's kind of insane to see. It's a, it's been an incredible start to the season, right? And I think I mean, from a um, morale standpoint and a momentum standpoint, it certainly washes the bad taste out of your mouth after the finals and some of some of the rocky offseason stuff, right? I think that we talked about – I mean, they needed to get off to a good start so that we could just talk basketball and not think about anything else. But, yep. um, I mean, you can't ask for a better start for Missoula. I mean, how much of the credit do we want to give to the coaching staff and how much do you think we want to put on the – like the, uh, you know – the season's roster constructor construction and, and roster growth, like player development. Um, it would be my question. Well, Pat, can I actually, can I, um, let me ask you guys a question. How, <laughs> let me answer your question with another let me answer, question. Sorry. Let me, yeah, can I answer your question with a question? Mm-hmm. I think Missoula is obviously doing a great job. I mean, I'm basing this strictly off their win loss record and the fact that the offense has taken a huge step. Pat, how much, cause you're the, you're our basketball expert. How much, 
does a basketball coach mean compared to, let's say, football? Mm-hmm. Like, how much credit does, does Phil Jackson deserve for for the Bulls dynasty or the Lakers dynasty? Or is it the fact that, you know, he obviously has, you know, obviously has knowledge of basketball, but he always, also has the, the – he had the greatest guys on this team. He had Kobe and Shaq or – you know what I'm saying? Yeah, I do. And, and I think it's a question, an age-old debate, right, of like – what sports coach plays the biggest role, you know, who, who's more, who's does the most. And I would say basketball is definitely a little more talent driven than some other sports because there is only five people on the court. So an individual person can make a larger contribution in a basketball game than other sports. I think that's just obvious, right? Jason Tatum, for example, a good coach cannot take, you know, if you've got the Charlotte Hornets, the Celts absolutely waxed them. The group of guys they had, you could give them Red Auerbach and Brad Stevens and Doc Rivers and uh, right, Jack, right. whoever you think, yeah, whoever you think is the great coaches right. working together, and they couldn't get those guys to be good. Yep. But I think good basketball coaches make a big difference along the margins for good teams. I think we saw, we've seen good teams with bad coaches, you know, not be able to get over the hump. I think Doc is not the best coach, and he's had a bit of a tough go when he was with the Clippers and. Uh, maybe the Sixers now and where it just sometimes just doesn't really work. Mm-hmm. I, I, we saw what a difference Emi made when you bring a new voice in. Brad might have been getting a little stale. And I think what Missoula has done with this Celtics team where he gets a lot of credit for me is he has sort of pushed them more to empower the offense a little bit. It's not like Emi used to call timeout after like two seconds and just rip into everybody. Missoula is a lot more even keel than that. It's like, hey, we're going to let the game flow. And if we play within the flow of the game, we're going to get our buckets. And he, so he shifted their focus a little bit. And he's, I I think you could see the, the second tier players have a bit more confidence when they get in there. Use a Peyton Pritchard, for example. He doesn't play a lot of minutes a lot, but when he does go in, he seems to be playing really good basketball. Luke Cornett, another example. I don't think any of us were big Green Cornet fans coming in, but it's been impressive to see what he does in fairly limited minutes. And I, and I think that speaks to a great job of the coaches making sure that the players feel the minute you get in, like, you know, just play your game. Don't worry about getting yanked out after a missed defensive rotation because I'm furious and want to strangle you to death. And I think, you know, so I think football coaches probably have a bit more of an impact because there's just a, there's more play calling going on date play to by play, right? Like you call a play on defense, call a play on offense. Basketball is a little more free flowing, but, but I do think Mazul has made a, made a big impact on them in a positive way on defense or excuse me, offense. I, I, I couldn't agree more. I would say too, like to a basketball coach, a great basketball coach, like credit to them. I would I would say football is probably the toughest, but being able to make really critical strategic decisions while the clock is running uh, is a is a talent that not a lot of guys have. I mean, yep. you can be a great X's and O's basketball coach. You can run the tightest practices and have the best game plan. But how many times in the playoffs do you see a team with a great roster or or talented roster wilt because the coach doesn't make any adjustments? Mm-hmm. You know, there are a lot of guys that don't make any in-game adjustments and will basically concede a game one to another team and then come back game two or three to try to change it up because he needs to sleep on it. Or like a guy who can't figure out how to use his timeouts. Using we, we rag on this podcast all the time on football coaches who can't use their timeouts appropriately. There are just as many NBA coaches that struggle to figure out 
when to, uh, you know, make a switch, when to use a timeout and how to manage those timeouts. Because I think it's hard. I think that's harder in basketball because the clock is so, it's so important. You're not getting all these stoppages in play like in football where you can regroup. So it's a great point. That. I mean, you need, you need, I think it's a really hard job. And, and kudos to a young guy like Missoula for stepping up and, uh, sort of knowing where his strengths are and where his weaknesses might be and being that even keel guy, knowing that if, if he were, if he were to try to do pull any of the stuff that Emi tried, Emi was able to get away with um, as far as laying into people, it wouldn't resonate because he's just a young guy who doesn't have a lot of clout, you know, or like respect along, along in the league. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, well, we're talking about the Celtics, you know, the second half of that is what, what can you get? What do you guys expect from them going forward? And, Looking at the calendar here, it's going to be sort of a tricky month for the Seas. Um, they're on the road for about two weeks, starting uh, after Friday. They they go to Brooklyn, Toronto, Phoenix. Uh, they go to Brooklyn, Toronto, and then they do a West Coast trip to Phoenix, Golden State. They play the Clippers and the uh, the Lakers on back to back days, and then they come home. They're not home until the sixteenth against Orlando. Um, I think it's sort of a tough road trip here. And you end the year, you know, you got a game against the Bucks. You have another game against the Clippers, Denver, January 1st. There are some tough teams along the slate here in December. What could the, what is a reasonable expectation you guys think for the next month or so of the season? It's, it can't it's, continue like this, right? It's not going to continue like this. So let's temper the expectations a bit. So you're, you're right about it. And the next month definitely seems a little bit difficult. But um, Michael Pena tweeted this out. And he's a great writer for The Ringer, a Boston guy. He covers Celta a bit, but does a lot of basic basketball stuff. He said Boston's remaining strength of schedule is the easiest in the league. For the rest of the for the rest of the basketball season, we have the easiest remaining strength of schedule, which in some ways makes sense, right? We we played the Sixers already. We played the uh, Cavs twice. We played the Mavericks. Like we played some. We played the Pelicans. Like we we played the Nuggets. We played the Grizzlies. Like we played some pretty tough teams already. And so it is. What this is probably the toughest stretch we have left in the schedule, right? Because this is a long road trip. You're talking a bunch of games on the road with some difficult teams. And even if the Lakers suck, like that's always a big game. Yeah. But I'd expect the Celtics to come home. You know, I, you're right. I'd say, what do we got? Miami, which is home, Brooklyn, Toronto, Phoenix, Golden State, LA, LA. So seven games. I'd say you'd hope to go five and two. Mm-hmm. You know, you go five and two, and I think you'd come out of that feeling a lot better. Not a lot better. You feel really good about, hey, we we weathered uh, a tough trip. Yeah, I think those west those West Coast trips are so friggin' tough, man. And like to assume that Celtics going to mosey into Staples Center and beat the Lakers is just pretty. Um, it's pretty naive to think. You still have a star-studded team with LeBron and Anthony Davis in Los Angeles, and they're going to be gearing to go. I mean, they're the worst, they're the worst shooting team in the league. If if the Celtics are the best, the Lakers are statistically the worst jump shooting team in the league. Which I'm just, is right. Shocking. I'm just saying on paper we should. Yeah, I think five and two would be a great run for us. But I just think that the West Coast is always is is always tough for us. You know. Oh, for sure, for sure. I, I mean, we come home. It's, we're basically on vacation when they finish the trip for about a week because you get Orlando, Orlando, Indiana, Minnesota. So yeah. I think that yeah, some time to look at those guys. Yeah. Um. 
at what point? So say, okay, so let's play it out. Play it out for me. You come off that road trip. You you go five and two. Maybe you coast through Orlando. Um, you should you should win a bunch of games, a few of those games at the end of the month. At what point, if you're the coaching staff or the Celtics, do you start to limit folks? Uh, you know, key player minutes heading into the first of the year, or do you do that with a young team like this? Well, I'll go first. I, go ahead, Mark. Um, I think because the reason why I'm gearing to go for this response is because I was talking to a client about, about this earlier. I think the tough thing is, John, is in a perfect world, you'd you'd sit Tatum and Brown when you can, which we'll still do that. We'll still do that. But I think there's a lot of incentive to get the first overall um, seed. So can you really take your foot off the gas if it's going to be, you know, uh, wire to wire till the end of the season with the Bucks in Miami or whoever? Because you really want that. You really want that home court advantage. Yeah, well, not Miami. They're they're, they're in the doldrums. Well, whatever but, you know what I mean, though. Yeah, so, whatever. No, I, I think, but I do think the Celtics have done oh, game to game. The guys are probably playing too many minutes. You know, Tatum and Brown are averaging the most minutes they've played, but they have. You know, they sat Tatum recently. Brown sat a couple games. Horford seemingly sits every few games, and then Brogdon was obviously hurt for a bit, so he hasn't played a ton. Smart missed a couple games, so I think. As the season goes on, you do want to be careful because one thing we saw last year was how burnt out they were going into that finals. It felt like they played balls to the wall for the last month and a half, two months of the year, and then the playoffs just wore them down. And you've got to avoid that this year. You've got to be smarter about Tatum can't be going 40 minutes a night, you know, four days a week because that's not sustainable. It doesn't seem like so – I think you got to be you got to be careful with it, and and I'd say when you start getting into January, I'm not saying you need to make them play 25 minutes a night, but it might be try to like so they play those two games against Orlando after the break, right? He should sit one of those games, Tatum should. Yeah, maybe Brown sits the other one, and you're just careful with making sure like, hey, we should be able to beat some of these teams with some of the better guys taking a break, particularly if Rob Williams is back. You can ease Al into less minutes where, he, you know, he's not beat up at the end of the year. And because I do think it's something they need to be cognizant of. And it's probably hard for Missoula because he's trying to prove he deserves to be the coach, trying to do a great job. And you want to just put the best guys out there at all times. But, but you got to have a long term view of it. Yeah, especially being so close last year. It's just you have to be able to look at the future uh, and think about oh, I mean where this team could go for the, in the finals and in the playoff if they can get back to the finals and uh, after a good playoff run. I mean, who else uh, before we, we switch gears to the World Cup? Who who are a couple teams that worry you as a Celtics fan? Either you know you can say Eastern Conference or you know teams that you're you're looking at as other title contenders in the West. Um, I'll go first. I think the I think the Nets are starting to take shape. Wouldn't you guys agree? No. Um, ben Simmons started. This is typical Ben Simmons, right? He's starting to play well, and then he has some mysterious knee injury, I guess, and now he's out indefinitely again. On paper, this Sunday against the, the Celtics versus the Nets should be an epic game, but it's probably going to be just Durant out there, right? And the Celtics will probably win. Well, I assume Kyrie will play, but oh, Kyrie, uh... sorry, Kyrie's back. Okay. Um, yeah, he, he's back. Okay. Well, I was going to say the – I was say the, this. I feel like if uh, if Ben Simmons can stay healthy, then that's going to become an issue again. I mean, they're and 5 more, and 5 in their last 10. They're not exactly – or 6 and 4, excuse me. They're not exactly like burning down the house. <laughs> well, I know, but Ben Simmons is finally showing some friggin' life. 
He did. I mean, there's no question. He had played a lot better. I mean, but here's Ben Simmons' last three games. 34 minutes, two points, 12 rebounds, eight assists. Next game, 11 minutes, gets his injury. Next game, doesn't play. That sounds like the Ben Simmons experience in a nutshell, doesn't it? Yeah. Yeah, (laughs) You know, he played 45 minutes and he got two total points. He shot one of six from the field. And then he got hurt. It's like, yeah, he looks like he's really rotten. He did have a few really good games in a row. Like, he went and played well in Philadelphia. They just managed to lose the game immediately because he didn't score in the fourth quarter. And I think that if you're banking on Ben Simmons to be great, you're just never going to get it. Yeah. It's just not right, man. I mean, this team is going to be – this team is going to be in fucking – 14th place in the Eastern Conference, and we're still going to have to talk about them. I know. Who's a a contender for you, Pat? Uh, Man, watch out for the Nuggets. I I think that they are playing pretty well right now, and and I don't think Jokic has been at his absolute best yet. But they're they're 14-7. They're just a hair behind the the Suns for – the lead in the Western Conference. It looks like Jamal Murray is starting to, you know, figure out his game. You get himself back into to, to who he was. And if that happens, they're going to be a pretty formidable team. They got Murray and Jokic, we know how great he is. Michael Porter Jr., Aaron Gordon. Uh, that's a pretty good team. Murray's last three games, 21-31-26. And he's starting to make his threes and, and – that that's a that's a really good sign for them because we know how great Jokic can drag absolute scrubs to being decent. Absolutely, yeah. I think that um, we talked about them with the win totals as well at the beginning of the year. They're certainly rounding into form. Yep. If you look at the West. The West is as a you know the conference that was considered really deep. I feel like the last few seasons, and this sort of seems like maybe a turn and. Um, there aren't a lot of teams in the West that I think are particularly good this year. Um, no, I agree. It's been a shaky start for the West. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but there's plenty of basketball left. See what the Celtics can do this month uh, with a long West Coast road trip in there. Um, let's uh, let's let's switch gears one final time here and touch on the World Cup. Do you guys have World Cup fever yet? I do. What about you, Marky? Have you watched any of it? I watched the uh, – yeah, I will say this. Uh, John and I were texting during the game. Um, the last few minutes uh, were, were really intense. I'm referring to the USA-Iran um, game. Iran, yeah. That, that The incredible save at the end there with, with the, the USA guy kicked the ball right before it went in the net. It was very intense. Like, I, I, I jokingly said that I wasn't going to be interested in it at all, but um, – I was fully engaged when, the, plus you didn't know how much time was left. Um, it was cool. It was, um, I'm excited to see USA go to the next stage. Um, I like this young team. It was, I, right. I thought their captain, I don't know his name. I'm sorry. I should have looked it up. Oh, no, you know what? That's going. All right. That's- I really like, I really like him. He was, he was put in a tough spot. They one of the Irani um, reporters called him out for saying the name of the country wrong. And he kind of asked, I forget what the other question was, but I think he handled it very well. So this is a good young team that it's fun to get behind, right? It's not a bunch of overpaid guys. And these guys are legit, too. They all play in – Pat, you know, these, these guys all play in, like, very legitimate European leagues. So um, hopefully they can make a run. They're, they're green, meaning they're young, but, they're, but they, they, they definitely have some talent. So it's cool to sink your teeth into this. 
Yeah, it is. I mean, I think you could see in that in the game against Iran just how intense um, World Cup soccer can be, right? It's like they Iran's playing for a draw to start the game. Like they're just hunkered in. I was at a bar watching with a ton of people, and it's just like you're so nervous because it's like, can we get a goal? And then you do, and then all of a sudden we're playing defense the whole game for, for the last 25 minutes for some unbeknownst reason to me. And it's just like anything could fuck this up. Like they they were crying for a penalty at one point, and I'm like, they're not really going to give them a penalty now, are they? At the end of this game to take this away from us, like I was having a heart attack. I wouldn't have been totally surprised either. There have been some suspect calls. Big uh, time. So far. I, I mean, I think I mean one of the things that is great about a tournament like the World Cup is how easy it is to go from a casual observer to hating a team of complete strangers whose names you just <laughs> learned like poison, you know, yep. these Iranian, the, 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 the team from Iran was playing the dirtiest soccer I've ever seen. And that's coming from a man who does not watch a lot of soccer, but <laughs> holy shit. I mean, when they, the, I mean, they, they're grabbing guys by the back of the Jersey, trying to stop them. It's um, really and the big whiners you know big complainers you're just like screaming at your tv the whole time for these guys to put a sock in it man (laughs) it was tough to watch and the end was really the end was really tough because it was just um you're holding on for dear life you know we played a very defensive last couple minutes and I didn't think the, I thought the coach had a great start to the game, but some of the subs are, are just all defense. And it's like, I don't know, we're sort of setting ourselves up to be the ones getting hammered at here. And that's the way it felt for a while, but so nice to see them make it to the knockout stages and, and we'll get the game against the Netherlands on uh, Saturday. And that, that'll be a lot of fun to watch. Yeah. What are the uh, expectations what do you think are, you know, strategy? What's the best strategy to beat a team like the Netherlands, who is a little bit more polished than the U.S. group? What do you think we have to do on Saturday morning to uh, to beat the Netherlands, who are a, a fairly large favorite? I mean, not an insurmountable, not like a favorite like England was, but they're a fairly decent favorite in Vegas to, to beat the U.S. So what do you think the keys to the game would be for uh, the U.S. men's team? I think – the this is actually all things considered not a terrible matchup for the US. There are certainly a lot more formidable group winners. You know, you could have got stuck playing, like you said, in England, who obviously weren't gonna because we're in the same group, but uh, uh Brazil, a uh, France, uh, one of the an Argentina, these type of teams that or would, would present a, a, a bit more problems. The Netherlands is deservedly the favorites. But they're not a super high scoring team. They they don't have a, a similar to the US They've lacked some of the goal-scoring punch and, and ability to, to create in front of the net. I, I think the U.S. can be physical with the Netherlands' front group, uh, led by Cody Gapko, who you know has been really good in this tournament, but he's not the kind of striker who is going to completely tear you apart. The U.S. should give this a go. You know, I, I hope they don't come out and batten down the hatches and just say like. Let's try to steal one on the counter. I think they should be positive in this game and be willing to go forward to to, to create their own chances. The U.S. has some advantages. They, they've got speed on the outside where I think they can get past some of the Netherlands guys and, and, and cause them some issues. So I'm looking forward to it because it's not, 
you know, this isn't David versus Goliath. The, the Netherlands is better, but not in such, this is not a one versus a 16 seed type situation where sometimes I felt like in years past when the U.S. would get through, it's like, oh boy, we're really in a tough spot here. You know, we're going to have to hold the hunt for dear life. And this doesn't feel like that to me. Well, that's like it's. A, I guess then that's a good way to enter the knockout round, right? I mean, if you have if you have the opportunity to play somebody that you think might not be a horrible matchup, I mean, let's go, right? Their, their best player is a is a defensive player, right? Is like an insanely good defender, or is that? Um, well, I miss I'm misunderstanding that. I thought that they had some insane like. Ooh, the Netherlands. Yeah. Yes, they do. They they have Virgil Van Dyke and Nathan Ake. So Virgil Van Dyke is one of the best defensive players uh, in, in in football or soccer. And um, Nathan Ake is very good as well. He plays for Manchester City. Virgil Van Dyke plays for for Liverpool. And so that 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 pairing is is pretty strong. But they've also got some other guys on the outside that are a little bit more susceptible to, to, to us going by. And Van Dyke has not had a, a great tournament, honestly. Like, it has not been his best. And sometimes it's difficult. I think one of the most difficult things about these international tournaments is you're pairing people together who really have not played together much at all. And yeah. I think that gets even more confusing on the defensive side because that's where you can really get haunted, right? You know, in, in, in soccer, you're trying to play people offside. So you try to push forward so that they'll be called offsides. But if one guy's doing something, another guy's not, which yeah. happened to, to the Netherlands against um, Ecuador in the tournament where they drew that game 1-1, where just some discombobulation, it could be really haunting to you. So there might be some opportunities for, for the U.S. to take advantage of that. Certainly you don't want to just be running at Virgil Van Dyke because that's a losing proposition for sure. What, what do you, what are some, are there any other games on the docket this week that you'll be interested to see what the result is before we get to Saturday or? Yeah. I mean, for, for sure. I, I'm, I'm very curious who's going to get through in some of these groups because it's, it's been one of the things I've really enjoyed about this world cup is in, in years past, there's been a lot of stuff already settled heading into the third game. It's like two teams won twice and they're already through and the other teams are out. It's like, you know, you could see a, you, you could see some surprising, surprising finishes here, like Ghana, Uruguay, Uruguay tomorrow. Either of those teams can go through. If, if Uruguay wins, they can easily go through the group. If Ghana wins, they're definitely through. And it'll be interesting to see, to see, how that shakes out. Like today I was watching, I was shocked to see Belgium draw and get eliminated. They needed a win and they, and they had, and they just couldn't, they had a million chances, couldn't put a goal in. And the other team was able to hold down the fort just enough Croatia and that's it. You're out of there. So I, I think it's shaping up to be a really fun end to the group stages. And then the, the uh, knockout stages are going to be fun. We've already got the U S game, which you know, would be great. And this, the second game that day is Argentina versus Australia, like the ultimate underdogs against Lionel Messi in, in his final World Cup. And so th there's going to be some really fun games. And what is the final question here for you boys? What would you consider a successful World Cup for the U.S. team? Do you consider where we're, where we're standing right now to be a success? Do we need to get further for you to consider it a success? What are the what's the expectation level for you both? I'll still I'll still Taylor Twelman, who's the um, the uh, expert on ESPN in terms of American soccer, soccer in general. And John, I'll say that it's already been a success. If you look at Twitter and whatnot, people are discussing USA soccer. Um, they've made it to the next round. I think it's already successful, regardless if they lose to Netherlands um, or what have you. 
Uh, I think it's already been a success. That's my response. I, I, I mostly agree, Mark. I, I think it has been uh, pretty successful. Getting They needed to get out of the group stages, right? It just had to happen. To get a draw against England's pretty impressive. I, I'd say the last bit was I, is I want to see them play the Netherlands well. I don't want to see this, you know, 3-0 out of there and, and outclassed. I think you want to leave with your head held high to give the Netherlands a game here and, and go into the, you know, the next stage of, of what this team will be over the next four years before the World Cup in the United States and, and and feel like, hey, you know, we were young and we gave it a go then, just wait. And so I'll, I'll be very curious and, and hopeful that they come out and do that in in this next game. Yeah, I agree with that. It's it's such a strange and sort of surreal feeling as an American, right? I think the World Cup is the only international, uh, you know, internationally acclaimed event where as a as a as an American, you sort of feel excluded. Like I feel like you sort of feel like your expectation and unlike the Olympics where you think in the in the Olympics you should be right there for most medals, right? Or, you know, any other of any other massive competition, the US should show well. And here you're just sort of hoping to make a splash. You know, you're hoping that your team can can be representative and 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 win, get out of the, the group stage and makes and punch somebody in the nose, even if you can't win the whole thing. And that's sort of a weird feeling as as a casual fan who who is rooting for your your country's team. Um, it's hard not to say that it's a success anytime. I mean, until you are consistently getting out of the group stage. For me, getting out of the group stage is is awesome. But I would love to see them beat the Netherlands. If they beat the Netherlands, no one will have a thing, a bad thing to say about this team, right? No, uh, no, absolutely not. So let's just get a win. Let's just get a win on Saturday, and the rest, the rest, I think, is gravy. I agree. Uh, but it'll be it'll be it'll be a good watch. I'm officially engaged. I, I was. It's hard when you get off to like you start with Wales and you and you draw. Like, you know, it sort of it sort of took the steam out of my shorts for it, but I'm all in now. Um, well, it, well, there's some good games to watch this week before we get up to uh, Saturday morning, and we'll cover it all next week, regardless of what happens. And uh, that'll wrap up three big questions, and we'll be right back after this break with this week's toss-up. Thanks for listening to the podcast, everyone. If you have any thoughts, questions, or concerns, send them to us on Gmail at saveitforthepodcast365 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and back to the show. Welcome back, everybody. It is time for Toss Up. We've had some fun ones the past couple weeks. Uh, I like this one a lot. I think it's going to be an interesting conversation. We're going with something very different than, than stuff we've done lately. Here's the question this week. If you could pick one movie robot or cyborg to be your lifelong companion, like a lifelong pal hangs out with you, who would you choose? I'm curious if any of us will have the same one. I know I I had one that I locked on right away, I think. Yeah, but I'm, I curious, I'm curious. All right, who do you got, Mark? I can only assume I have the same one as you. I'd have to go with... Reluctantly, I'll go with not reluctantly. I'll go with um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. I'll go with the Terminator. But That's think, not my ad. But why? Why? Why pick him reluctantly? No, 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 not reluctantly. Well, he, you want. No, no, it wouldn't be reluctantly. He would. He would be hands down my choice. Okay. Because um, 
he's obviously he's a machine, so he'll do exactly what you what you want. Literally, the the um, the scene where I would that that I think of in a nutshell is it's when um, John Connor first befriends the Terminator, and these two biker guys are like, "Are you okay, kid?" And then John Connor says, "Leave me alone, butthead." And then these and, they, and then obviously the Terminator diffuses of these two gentlemen. So yeah, I, I could there be nothing better than you have a friggin' uh, um, a machine that's that's it's designed to to murder or to, to to just kill, defend. I would be chirping every single person, uh, male, female, whatever, if I had if I had um, the Terminator on my by my side. You think I'd be taking yeah. your guys' shit every week? Yeah. By the Terminator I side? Terminator I, just, I wouldn't want to see what you were doing with that robot after dark. Well, yeah, I mean, listen. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know that the Terminator just listens to you like that. I'm not sure he would. So what's your, so give me um That's absurd. This is a horrible yeah. choice. Yeah, he's not Well no, but here's the thing. So in the first in the first film in the first film, so he is he a he's trying to decide that he wants to kill you. He's a bad guy though in the first film. Yes, I know, but there's, there's nothing I want, that he I know, but I want. I'm. I'm getting Terminator Two version. He could but, still go haywire on you. Here's here's why I think it's a tough call because he doesn't have a personality at all. Neither do I. You're gonna spend the rest of your life with him. You're gonna spend the rest of your life with this massive machine that doesn't think, oh. like doesn't. So let me guess. You're gonna be doing. Uh, you're gonna be choosing um, R two D two or C three PO. You guys are gonna be writing hakus all day. Hakus. Hakus. I was gonna pick R two D two. Yes. Because it's a, to me, the reason I was going to go on them is I did not want a human-like robot. I don't want I don't want this robot to be like I don't want there to be any confusion of what's going on here. In charge. Yeah, with with R two D two, it's a very much like a yes, he's a good pal, and he's he's we've seen him rescue people from bad situations, so he can clearly help you out. He's got he's friendly enough. But it's also, this is clearly a robot. This is not a person. Nothing weird is going on here. This is not like, he's not going to kill me because he gets angry or like something happens in the future and that changes him in the past. Like, (laughs) you're in a very difficult situation, Mac. We don't know what's going to happen there. uh, R2-D2 is kind of a ball buster too, isn't he? Yeah, he can make a few jokes and he can just, and, and guess what? He just... You plug him in at night and he goes to bed and there's not like, oh, we need a room for the Terminator to sleep in. <laughs> like, I don't think your one bedroom is going to fit you in the Terminator. Imagine, imagine taking a girl home and, and uh, there's there's Arnie standing yeah, the there. Yeah, stand yeah, whatever, yeah, whatever I can't get done, I'll just send Arnold in afterwards. <laughs> <laughs> I can go to bed. <laughs> yeah, he'll put you to bed. Hey, dude, yeah. hey, not to mention, I got a workout buddy for life, dude. Okay, this Saturday's Broncor Fitness Signature Class is going to be hosted by Ani. Do you guys picture this, dude? I got, I'm in my, I, I got, I'm, uh, we're back to my alternate universe from, um, I got my, my, um, my clone, you know, my Bob Holly clone. I got my Al Schwarzenegger, dude. We're in, we're in my, um, we're in my shed underground world. I'm talking shit to everyone. Uh, I like the, I like it. You could use them as a villain if you had to get, like go like to. The cape for a weekend or something. He just covers your classes. Yeah. And you guys, you guys know me. I might go full heel turn, and maybe I'll be I'll, I'll our bad Terminator, and I'll just be a total prick. <laughs> Not to, I like the, I like your explanation, Pat. Though it is good to have a robot that can, um, you know. He's just a robot, you know, like there's no, it's not, you know, the Tin Man or whatever. It's just like this guy, just like 
he beeps and boops and like he's almost he's almost not doing enough though i will say like he's sort of like it's sort of like having a roomba with a bad attitude yeah but i think he could do more than he maybe i don't know he look he's bailed him out of some tough situations there could he, he walk alvin could he walk alvin you think he might get dragged i mean he's heavy so yeah he could walk alvin no doubt about it I don't know. He doesn't have necessarily hands, but I'm sure he's got something that can he's help got out. Some things that come out of him. Yeah, I he's think. got little spindly things. All right, John, what do you got? I'm, I, I, this was a tough one. I think I think, um, I, I think uh, an, an easy. I, I'm going to go with. Um, a, can I do a TV one, or does it have yeah, to? Yeah, yeah, that's fine. I was going to go with Bender from Futurama. Oh, Bender's right. great. He's a classic. <laughs> like if you're just talking about a buddy. Like if it's like he's got to spend your life with somebody, like yeah, he's gonna be problematic in a lot of ways, but he's got his own sense of humor. He's got a personality on him. He's strong as an ox, you know. He's a good. He's loyal to the end. I think he's a good guy to have around. The ultimate drinking buddy. Yeah, he he really lets it rip. The issue with Bender <laughs> is obviously he has a history of crime, violent crime. So he, he may get you into some hot water there. <laughs> yeah, but I don't think anybody be pushing us around at parlor or anything. No, you know? no, no, no. Crowd, I mean. period. Dude, if you if you run into me in the Terminator, we're gonna fuck you up, John. <laughs> we'll be like his mark and his his person is his no personality boyfriend. Yeah. But hey, Bender, let's get out of here. Yeah, yeah we don't want to hang out with this guy. I don't know why he doesn't dress as Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a little cold out here, Arnie. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Bender's got a nice, like, you know, he open, he's got a nice, uh, that he's a, it's like you would never have to carry a backpack. Bender's got the big open uh, chest cavity there. You just store your shit in yeah, there. Yeah, that's true. He could just put your stuff in there. You know who I was torn between, though, Pat, is um, the other one that jumped to mind, but I don't think it would be a lot of fun for me personally, is uh, Jarvis from the Iron Man movie. I thought about Jarvis, too. I thought Mark would pick, uh, what's the name of the robot from her with Joaquin Phoenix? I guess not oh, really. Sheesh. No, but it's... The, uh, ex machina like that oh yeah yeah the ex machina robot <laughs> oh geez i guess i know why well, like thank god i didn't go down that route uh, yeah <laughs> that would have been tough oh my when god I, was, I, was, like, I came i was thinking r2d2 have the bat and i was like let me see if i'm missing any and then like i did like was looking at robots from um movies and tv and it's like best ones like the iron giant i'm like who the fuck would pick the iron giant he just sits outside your house, and the the army would be calling you immediately. dude, with that thing, you, know, you can't even you can't park on the same side of the street for too long and get a ticket. Dude. You can't be parking your iron giant outside. Guys, I might go the upon further review. I might go the fembots from Austin Powers instead. <laughs> that's what I was. That's what I just said. You know, I can't believe you no, didn't. No, that's a good suggestion, John. I wish I had. No, what's your you you will stick you you stick no. with what you had. Let's, I'll let's stick with Arnold. No, I wasn't. Well, if I have Arnold as my best friend, dude, you know, getting laid should not be an issue for me. Well, that came out wrong. I'm <laughs> saying he's a good wingman, good wingman, dude. Uh, out of the three of us, I get the best wingman. I mean, maybe, but you also have the highest propensity to be killed by your pal. In these scenarios, the other have- people that they're from the movie like are you walking around like holy shit that guy has r2d2 or <laughs> good question you probably have to not be viewed that way yeah. they, you right. would know what they were but everyone else's collective memory of them would have to be erased yeah if that's yeah if that's the case brent bender becomes more problematic probably yeah because they're not like hey that's lovable old bender if it's like hey that fucking robot stole my wallet and told me to bite his shiny metal ass 
we can we can invite Doyle, but he's got to leave that fucking insanely violent robot at home. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, that was a fun one. Let's take a quick break. Be back at the last segment of the day. Thank you for listening to Save for the podcast. If you have any suggestions for a toss up or a loser of the week, feel free to reach us on Instagram or Twitter at Save It for the Cast. Uh, again, save it, the number four, the cast. Welcome back, everybody. Time for the last, but certainly not the least, segment of the day. It is Loser of the Week. Oh, we got a lot of losers to get through. Uh, John, you want to start us off? Sure. I have one uh, sort of a strange news story here uh, that I saw on NPR this week about a, a gentleman at a New York City auction who bought a pair of the deceased uh, Steve Jobs, not gently worn, uh, well-worn Birkenstocks at auction for $218,000. It's the highest price ever paid for a pair of sandals. And the, (laughs) the way that they were described at the auction was that these are, these sandals are significant or historically important because they were what Steve was wearing during many pivotal decisions in Apple's early days in history. So somebody went to an auction in person and bought some smelly old sandals that Steve Jobs used to wear, Steve Jobs used to wear for over 200 K, um, this is by far the most anyone has paid for footwear. Oh, I'm sorry. This is this is far from the most anyone has paid for footwear at auction. But the other ones are like the other ones on the list make a little more sense. They're Michael Jordan's '84 uh, Air Jordans that were worth like 1.5 million, and uh, a pair of Nikes that Kanye wore at the 2008 Grammys. But those are like those are shoes that are uh, attached to a a singular moment in history that make a little bit of sense. These are just a guy's smelly old walk around the house sandals. I can't help but think this, this seems like a very sexual thing to me. That's where my (laughs) my head goes. Right. Like you're you're right. You're you're right, John. It's like, if someone gets the Jordan sneakers, it's like, you put it up there. It's like, fuck man, that's the freaking Michael Jordan. Well, like that guy's a basketball fan, right? right? Like, yeah, dude, if my brother or someone, Went on and said, I bought, you know, a pair of old uh, Steve Jobs sandals that he wore frequently. I'm like, oh, what the hell, dude? What do you do with those? Smell them and do something? Uh, That's where my mind. But, like, what are you really a fan of? I I never understand the, like, people that are really fans of guys like, you know, Steve Jobs or any of these, like, entrepreneurial folks. It's like, are you just a fan of new stuff? (laughs) Like, what do you think? Do you have a fan of the way this guy ran his for-profit company? It's really bizarre. It's so weird, man. The thing with it is, and, and you know, you buy like a game-worn jersey or whatever, you assume that you have like a memorabilia room of sports stuff, right? Like I think that stuff's even a little weird, but okay, you get it. Like yeah. this guy loves down where he has his big TVs, like he's got these framed jerseys and shoes or whatever. What, 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 where would you display Steve Jobs' sandals in your house? Right. If you were over somebody's house – and they were displaying Steve Jobs' old sandals, would you A, punch him in the face, or B, immediately leave? Because it's definitely one of those two. <laughs> Maybe both. It looks like they could have been worn by a fucking Roman emperor. That's how old and disgusting they look. They look like they belong in the Smithsonian, not in somebody's basement of their <laughs> shrine to Steve Jobs. 
So weird. Oh God, I didn't know you were such a big history buff. It's like, oh no, those are just Steve Jobs' old smelly house sandals. Yeah. So weird. That was bizarre. That's mine. That's my loser of the week. I can't believe people. I get I, I get annoyed when I find out people have this much disposable income that they can do stuff like that. So that's on me, I guess. Seriously. Who's up next? Um, I'll, I'll go. Um, so my loser of the week is um, the Liver King, aka Brian uh, Johnson. I think his name is the Liver King. Is this gentleman who made a name for himself having a very impressive physique? Um, he has some very insane workouts. He holds like two 60 kilogram kettlebells while having ankle weights and a, and a body weight on him, pushing or carrying a sled. Um, and he, he started this, um, he has his own um, supplement company where basically he's preaching these nine ancestral lifestyles, uh, um, you know, things involving namely eating testicles, bull testicles, um, a number of other things, just a bunch of hacky, basically preaching, living like our ancestors did. And he's saying this is how he's gotten this physique. If, you, if you've ever seen this guy, he's clearly a steroid user. The first time I saw him, I'm like, this guy is a steroid user. But you know what? Like, I'm someone that, you know, obviously fitness is my, is my career. So, But I still appreciate the fact that this guy still puts in a lot of hard work. But what makes him a loser of the week is that he's gone since day one saying, I'm completely clean, no steroids, blah, blah, blah. I've gotten this big. I've gotten this physique from this ancestral lifestyle of eating testicles and um, all these crazy workouts and hopping in a, a uh, cold water, freezing cold water 10 minutes a day, all this other shit, and denying, denying that he has steroids. Uh, a gentleman, uh, social media, uh, his handle, I don't know his real name, but his handle is called More Plates, More Dates, sent uh, a number of emails to Brian Johnson, a.k.a. Liver the King, and basically duped him into... The Liver King, not Liver the King. Liver King. His name is Liver King. This is his name, Liver King. If I'm saying Liver the King, I'm saying it wrong. Liver King. Basically, Brian Johnson gives what his complete stack is. It involves D-ball, involves Winstrol. $15,000 a month this guy's uh, spending on steroids. Um, so he's finally exposed... Um, which is fucking obvious. I mean, like it's clear as day. Which what makes him a big freaking loser is that he was lying to us all this time. It means that it's it's clear as day that he's a steroid user. I um, have a couple problems with him, Mark. Though because it's like I, I have I have a problem with anybody who believed it because I'm not. Oh, yeah, agreed. That was the biggest losers. Yeah, like but you have to know by because you have two fucking eyes right. that he's on some sort of illicit substance and. Like, uh, <laughs> B, like, uh, I would say that if, even if he were, if you thought that he were on nothing, would you want to look like him? He looks insanely unhealthy. And it has, I mean, he's in what he has big muscles. He looks like he's going to drop dead. I wonder what that guy's BP he is. He will drop dead. He will fucking drop dead. Oh, he's definitely going to drop dead. No doubt about it. No question. Also, I mean, if you want to get real into it, I mean, I understand that this is all like for clout and he has a huge social media following. This man has made a career. I mean, the lie is funny because I don't think anyone should have believed it. But basically his whole shtick is I think everybody who has a brain knew he was on steroids, but he just enjoys eating testicles. He just would eat testicles on uh, like, you know, it's like John, you know, I'll say this right now. I, when I first watched his videos, I thought, yes, this guy is on steroids. 
um, you know me, I like to build muscle and burn fat. It crossed my mind. I'm like, fuck, if, if eating fucking testicles gets you even remotely like that, he might be onto something. But no, I mean, God, but no, I mean, this guy, is, I mean, anyone half a brain knows this guy, is, you don't get a physique like that eating fucking nuts. You know? Well, I mean, I, I think he eats on a liver, which is why he became the liver king, right? Well, he eats a lot. So he eats, yeah, he eats a lot of liver, but he also eats bull he testicles. Eats a, he just eats like uncooked. Yeah, yeah. So. which is, dude, that cannot be good for you. The guy was always a massive loser because he is somebody who's just obsessed with being like, look at me, I'm I'm a guy who does this disgusting stuff, but that's what makes me so great. And it is very funny to see him get exposed to what a loser is. Hopefully he suffers serious consequences from it and he loses all his you know, sponsorships and people don't pay any money to listen to him anymore because I can't imagine a guy who deserves it worse than him yeah he is a, a gigantic fucking loser it's just like, it pisses me off though because it's like it's too late he's already got a following and now people won't care that he's on steroids as much and they believe uh, there are people out there that believe that this diet is what's good for you and that's insane you know i mean it's it's the the concept of it is that you eat an organ and that the nutrients in it immediately positively impact whatever organ you're eating john can i just say that i think this there's no medical um, obviously research to back that up. It's insane. He, he's basically a guy who should have been a fear factor contestant who happened to do steroids to get more followers. John, I think that um, I, I do agree with you. I think he did win over a bunch of, did get a, a big following, which people will maintain some of it. But I don't know. I, I, I don't know how his whole shtick has been that he's has been denying, denying, denying steroid use. And there's yet to be anything that's come out about it. I just don't really know what his platform is going to be. Like he's going to look ridiculous now, even more so eating li- raw liver and eating, um, you know, bull, yeah. bull, 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 bull nuts and stuff like that. So I do agree with you. He's made a ton of money, but I agree with, I hope uh, I'm with Pat. I, I, I do think he should suffer some legal ramifications because it's, I find it so frigging as someone that works his ass off to, to, to keep in good shape. You know, and then to this guy who what he does cannot be achieved naturally ever, and to fucking yeah. just lie to people and give them this bullshit is like he should be absolutely ostracized from the fitness community. He should be ostracized from forget just the fitness community, regular society. Yeah, he should. He should. He's a fucking like, all right. Man. You said you wanted the ancestral lifestyle, no more steroids. You don't have to go to prison. You have to live in a cave for the rest of your life. Here you go. Good luck. <laughs> If you see it in society, we're gonna run you out of town. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, my loser of the week is a constant winner. Uh, man, they've got to be in running for loser of the of the year. Dan Snyder and the Washington Commanders with another swing and a miss this weekend. It's funny because the the team is actually playing well, but even when things are going up, this guy can't help but drag them down to the toilet. The Commanders, after last year's mess of an attempt to honor Sean Taylor, where his family was stuck taking photos in front of porta potties and Snyder was dressed like a buffoon, <laughs> unveiled uh, what was going to be a you know a memorial to him. Uh, it, it said it was going to be a statue. This unveiling of you know this memorial at the Commander's name is not a statue. It is essentially a wire mannequin. 
in a mismatched jersey and like a Nike jersey and Adidas pants with a pair of socket cleats on. It is the worst memorial I've ever seen to somebody. Like if I was going to die and they told me they were going to make a memorial to me and it was going to look like this, I'd say, don't bother. I'd rather be forgotten. And we've had, we've had bad memorials as Losers of the Week on here before, and this tops them all. This it's, looks like somebody who had an art project assigned and waited to the last night to throw it together. Yes, can and, I just say, can I, can I use, um, so I work at a gym with, you know, we have a big community. We have a, you? Uh, you, as you guys know. And we're not the the brightest lights in the ball, but if Braun, for example, is like, I got a statue, I have a statue that we're resurrecting of one of our first clients and X, Y, Z, and they showed us something to the equivalent of that, everyone would be like, dude, no, what? This looks awful. How can an entire organization run by professionals, not one person say, man, dude, you guys can't put that out there. You're better off putting nothing than fucking what this is. It, it's unbelievable. You're right. There is so many professionals involved in this. And it's they've had so many of these comedy of errors. You just wonder who's working over there. You know, they had the Washington State mugs with, that we talked about one time when, you know, they've just they've made so many mistakes. And this just tops the list. It looks awful. It looks so it bad. It, does not look like it, it, it honestly does not look like a memorial to a player. It looks like they're just advertising like, hey, buy this jersey here. And just it's like what you'd see at a, what you'd see at a Footlocker showing off a shirt. They get they have the pro shop. They have the current they, exactly. They have the current jersey. So when Sean Taylor played, let's say the the sponsor wasn't Nike. Now the jersey that they that they put on him is this is this, the current jersey which he never wore. He didn't even wear that style of uniform. Or it just yeah, it's just it's it's completely. They kept the redskin helmet though. You notice they have the redskin helmet back on display. Did they? Yeah, he's wearing a red skin. So the only thing they might be should have changed. It's like what? I'm yeah. Put a fucking twenty one on the helmet at that point. I mean, <laughs> I mean, but if there's something that the that the Washington Commanders can do to fuck up, they will do it. Yeah, and that's just a guarantee. Yeah, Dan Schneider, man, that guy's desperate to sell his organization, right? Well, I think he wants to keep it, but I think everybody else in the world is desperate for him to sell it. Yeah. All you need to know is when you Google Sean Taylor Memorial, there's like eight articles that come up, and the only one that's positive is the one from Fox News that says Sean Taylor's half-brother praises Snyder for, for memorial tribute to his brother. It's like wow. every other part. It's like this is an unacceptable sham of a statue. You, if you watch the video, I suggest everybody, if you haven't watched the actual video of the unveiling, go back and watch it because there are like audible gasps in the crowd when it's. Yeah. <laughs> I wonder what they expected because it's always um, it's something horrible with this guy, you know? I'm not an artist uh by any stretch of the imagination but i think that if you're going to tell somebody that you're doing a if you're creating a statue in one of their family members likeness or any kind of memorial you should come out months before and tell them what medium you're using so they know whether to expect a marble statue some coat hangers it's not a statue why did they say it was going to be a statue it's not a statue it's not a statue it's a mannequin it's a mannequin Imagine that. Like, it's like, oh, we're building this statue for a guy. It's like a statue needs to be fucking like solid. It can't be wires. Dude, they it's said, not made in his likeness. It's just like, fucking sticking his, his uniform and not even his on some ridiculous thing. And his are like random cleats. Like, you know, like 
It was just, oh man, it was so poorly done. <laughs> it falls uh, right in line with the presentation being right in front of the uh, porter potty for Sean Taylor a couple of weeks, couple yeah. of, like last season for his memorial. Horrible. <laughs> uh, uh, all right, what do we got this week, boys? We've got a huge World Cup game at 10 on Saturday. we got the Patriots tonight. A lot going on. I'm going to the game. I'm leaving from this podcast right now to head to the game tonight. So I'll try to bring them good luck because they're going to need it. Have you have you gone to a lot of wins? I can't remember. I can't remember if you're good luck or bad. I've only been to one loss, but I would say that that's bad luck in the Brady era. I went to the I went to the loss against Seattle on a Monday night years and years ago, and I like never forgot it because it was so brutal. John, yeah, here's what I think you need to do to, to, to really bring us some good luck tonight. Is you need to go to your closest liquor store, buy the cheapest bottle of Ron Roberto, <laughs> start pouring yeah. it, just pulling spring bottles, start crushing them and stick them into your uh, shoes so you can weasel them into the game and get absolutely blackout drunk off Ronnie Ronnie Roberto. Um, and uh, bring bring out bring us a Patri- uh, Patriots. Uh, Unlike you, I'd prefer not to end up in the Walpole holding cell. Oh my god, <laughs> you might fucking you might yeah. I know. I'd still like to make it out of that. I mean, it's this isn't going to be as raucous as a, as a Springsteen concert, but we will uh, we'll do our best. Yeah. Uh, all right. We'll have fun tight, John. Uh, go Pats. Go USA. Till next week. Save it for the podcast. <laughs>